Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ in Northampton, Pennsylvania. My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday sermons. I pray that they'll be a blessing to you, and if you're ever in the area, please stop in and worship with us. We'd love to have you. Thank you for the reading. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you all, as always. Before I get into the main text for today, which is going to be the Acts portion from 121, uh, well, Acts chapter 1, verses uh, 1 to 13, I should say. Sorry, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. Where are we? What day is it today? All right, it's Sunday. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) We're we're going to read a little bit from uh, the book of Genesis. It's not in the lectionary for today, but I need to read it to sort of set the stage for what we're going to be talking about uh, this morning. So in Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9, it says this, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are only one people, and they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, why in the world is Pastor Mike reading us the story of God confusing the languages of humanity at the Tower of Babel. And I'm glad you asked that question because I'm going to tell you. So at first reading this story seems a little weird. God confusing languages, right? Because people want to build the tower, right? That's like, okay. I mean, does God have something personal against towers? Does every time he looked down and sees New York City or Dubai or Shanghai, he's like, oh, those humans making those skyscrapers. I thought I told them way, way back not to do that. But let's look a little bit at this, at, at this, at this portion here. It's kind of set it into context. So this is, this is what's called primeval history, right? Like Genesis 1 through 11, things are very sort of, uh, you have creation and angels and flooding and all this sort of thing primeval, right? And then from Genesis, uh, later on in Genesis, after Genesis 11, it, it all of a sudden switches gears completely and becomes localized into the person of Abraham. And so what happens in this story here is, you know, it's the post-flood, people are told to spread out. God says, like, you know, spread out. And then the mandate in the garden, be fruitful, multiply, God says, fill the earth, fill the earth. But the people here don't do that. They want to build a city instead. They all want to settle together in one place and just kind of hang out all together. And so they say, let's do this so we can make a name for, for who? They say for ourselves. They don't say for God. They say, we don't, they don't say we're going to build this city. We're going to dedicate it to God. They say, we're going to build this city so we can name, make a name for us. 
and so that we won't be dispersed over the whole earth. So we can kind of just all hang out together here in, in this spot. So united, they could do whatever they want to do because they want to do it so they can make themselves great. And so this is kind of a big deal to God. God feels like he needs to take action here. And a commentator named Reno says, God acts on the same rationale he gave for the expulsion of Adam and Eve from the garden. It cannot be the case that human beings can make themselves divine by dint of their efforts any more than the fruit of the tree of life. And sheer deathlessness would give Adam and Eve divine life. Nor can God be threatened by human striving as if he were a vulnerable despot. No, the temptation of the covenant of the lie is precisely the false promise that worldly abundance is enough to bring rest to human beings. What he's saying here is that God isn't threatened by people making plans to build towers. Right? He, he's saying that God isn't saying oh, I better put a stop to this because if these humans can build this tower tall enough to get to heaven, then they can be a threat to me, right? We know that that's, that's, not, that's not true. There's a reason for this. And the reason is that God decides to take action here is because people are setting themselves up against God. Look what happens here in the story. It says, we want to make a name for ourselves because we don't want to be dispersed. But what exactly happens in the story? They get dispersed, in spite of that, right? So their greatest fear happened in spite of their best efforts. And brothers and sisters, that's what happened to us when we fall prey to pride and to self-deception. The things that we're afraid of, that we struggle against the most, kind of wind up happening to us. And they're essentially trying to supplant God by building this, this tower to heaven. Because in the ancient world, you know, the higher you could build your tower, because the gods you know, existed right in the sky, you were closer to divinity. And God comes down in the story, and he confuses the languages. So we see in this story that confusion reigns when we set ourselves against God through pride. And so that's what happens here, and in the story they disperse, and they can't communicate properly with each other anymore. So then we turn to the text in Acts chapter 2. Now what happens in the text of Acts chapter 2? Well, it's the day of Pentecost. They're all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, filling the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there was dwelling in Jerusalem devout Jews from every nation under heaven. And the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and say, are these not speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to the Cyrenes and visitors from Rome and Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. What does this mean? They're drunk with new wine. So the reason why we have these stories here, brothers and sisters, is we have Jesus telling his disciples and followers, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. We're going to send you the Holy Spirit. So Jesus ascends, and we celebrated this on Ascension Day, and they listened to him. And so Pentecost occurs. Pentecost was the name of the Jewish festival falling 50 days after the Passover. And at Pentecost, it was where the final grain harvest was celebrated. So it was a big celebration, and people would bring free will offerings to God based on 
based on how God had blessed them that year. And Pentecost was, was notable also because at the season of Pentecost, if you were a stranger, right, if you were outside of the people of God, you were outside of the people of Israel, you could take part in this festival, which is a pretty great thing. They're celebrating God's goodness. They're celebrating uh, at, at the end of the Passover season, God's, God's love, God's provision. And everybody was invited. Even those who normally would not be able to worship with us, with them were invited to take part in this festival. So think about it. At this festival, the Holy Spirit descends in spectacular fashion. And we have descriptions of these flames of fire on their heads and the sound of a wind. And they're speaking in other tongues. And tongues here, brothers and sisters, is languages. And it says these devout Jews from these other areas, they heard the wonderful works of God in their own native tongues. These people are the descendants of the Jews that had been displaced during the diaspora. Those who had been taken away or those who had moved away or had emigrated to other areas. They're all in Jerusalem working. Jews from all over the world. It says all nations under heaven. So what's happening here then, brothers and sisters? We have these people. They're, they're, the disciples are, are speaking in unknown languages. The gift of the Holy Spirit has been given. Everybody's hearing the wonderful works of God in their own language. God is undoing what he did in Babel. He's undoing the confusion of the dispersion of the people, right? He's undoing the confusion of all of the multiple languages. And we ask the question, why? Well, because the coming of Jesus is not meant to divide the nations into a giant geographical unit speaking the same thing. Rather, the nations are brought into God's covenant through their own languages. So everybody is hearing the works of God in their own language. In other words, the covenant, right, that God had made with their fathers is still for them. And they hear that in their own tongue. Regardless of where they are, regardless of where they come from, they each hear it in their own language. The confusion of the multiplicity of languages is overcome at Pentecost, where God then is regathering the nations that he has dispersed, but he's regathering them and reconstituting them under Jesus Christ. And so some of the people here say, hey, you're drunk. And Peter says, it's only nine o'clock in the morning, bro. It's way too early for that. And he preaches Jesus Christ and the giving of the Spirit by linking the events of the prophet Joel to the experience that's happening there. And then he links the event to Jesus by then preaching Jesus. He preaches Jesus. Jesus, the, the crucified, risen, and ascended Messiah that all of you killed, God raised him from the dead. And then he has sent us the Spirit. He preaches Jesus. And so we see here, as they, the people in the Bible story lift themselves up in pride to name, make their name great, and they are confused. In the Pentecost story, confusion is at an end because what's happening? They're lifting up the risen Christ. Not themselves. They're not trying to make a name for themselves, but they are then tasked with making the name of Jesus great. We're taking the name and the story of Jesus to the nations. 
And brothers and sisters, as Christians, we ourselves, we've received the Holy Spirit too, that same Holy Spirit that, that fell so amazingly and so powerfully thousands of years ago in the book of Acts that they saw as visible tongues of fire on their heads. We've received the same Spirit too. We may not have received the Spirit in as a spectacular fashion, right? But when we were baptized brought into the kingdom, and when hands were laid upon us and we were blessed, that's when we were sealed with the Spirit. We all have that same Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that empowered the early followers of Jesus is in us, and the gift of the Holy Spirit helps us as we deal with the confusion of the babble of our own lives. Now, this babble, B-A-B-B-L-E, as opposed to babble, B-A-B-E-L, in the beginning of the story. You're all with me? All right, so don't think Michael's saying, wait, what? Babel? B-A-B-E? Like from the tower? No, Babel. B-A-B-B-L-E. Okay? I'm doing a little play on words here. The Spirit helps us deal with the confusion of the Babel we find in our own lives. This Holy Spirit, number one, helps us cut through the fog of false messiahs to see the true Messiah. In other words, the Holy Spirit's job is to testify to Jesus. Peter's sermon is going to highlight the events of the passion and resurrection. This is Jesus. This is what he has done. Repent and believe. The Holy Spirit helps us cut through the Babel to see the risen Christ, to receive the risen Christ, to live for the risen Christ. Number two, the Holy Spirit helps us to cut through the babble of hurtful self-talk. I do a podcast with a very good friend of mine, Father Andrew Stephen Damick, and uh, we did a live episode filmed on Facebook last week. And one of the, the people who typed in, like you could type in and, and, and join in that way, sent us a message and said, and, and that's kind of why I wanted to include this in the sermon, but they, they said, I'm having trouble with, like, with, with just depression and, and harmful self-talk, and I don't know what to do. And our first reaction was to pray. <laughs> we pray for you. Like, and the second reaction was, okay, go, and if you need to, get help. There's good mental health care professionals out there. If you need help, find help. And then the third thing is we gave him, some, hopefully, some decent spiritual counsel. But the point, brothers and sisters, is that the Holy Spirit helps us to cut through the babble of hurtful talk. We call the Spirit the paraclete in, the, in, the, in the, uh, the, the prayer that we prayed at the beginning of the service. And the paraclete is the advocate, the comforter. The Holy Spirit helps us to cut through the babble of hurtful self-talk. God doesn't love me. Sometimes in our darkest moments, has anybody ever thought that? I'm not good enough. God can never love me. Or oh, I've heard this one too. I've done too many bad things in my life for God to ever love me. Or I've even heard this one. It's too late for me. I'm nearing the end of my life. And you're telling me that God will still accept me, that God would still love me even after all of the awful things that I've done now towards the end? It's too late for me. But brothers and sisters, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. The Holy Spirit helps us to see that Jesus 
loves us, that he died for us, that he gave us the spirit to be with us, to strengthen us, to help us. Number three, the Holy Spirit helps us to cut through the babble of temptation and pride. I think it's one of the epistles of John says, you know, the temptation is less of the eyes, less of the flesh and, and the pride of life. The Holy Spirit gives us strength to be sanctified. Strength to be sanctified. That the ongoing work of growing in the faith, of becoming holy, he gives us the strength to do that. And remember earlier in the story of Babel where people said that they're going to make a name for themselves? Well, the Holy Spirit helps us to exalt the name of Jesus above ourselves. Because when we exalt Christ above ourselves, we are able to clothe ourselves in humility. It helps us to esteem each other higher than ourselves. It helps us to kill our pride. It helps us to mash it down. Bless you. So we can do what St. Paul encourages us to do in Galatians. Bear each other's burdens, he says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. He helps us to esteem others above ourselves. And we see that all of the fears that we have, that we try to avoid through our own strength, often we fall right into them. The Holy Spirit helps us work through that fear. He helps us cut through that fear. And he helps us to resist temptation. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, he helps us to cut through that. He helps us to resist that so we can choose the good. And lastly, like as we heard in, in the epistle reading from Romans, the Holy Spirit helps us to place our hope in the resurrection. He helps us to cut through the babble of death. The scripture said there in Romans that creation itself groans within itself, right? So the created world, the trees, the grass, everything out there is waiting just as we are for the coming of Christ, for the resurrection at the end of time. Our inner self groans just like creation groans for the revealing of Christ. And we, brothers and sisters, have been given the Holy Spirit, it says, as the first fruits. Because just as Christ has risen and ascended, we have that hope that we too will rise. And the Spirit helps us cut through the babble of fear. I think the book of Hebrews talks about how the fear of death enslaves us. That even though physical death is something that we will all take part in, the Holy Spirit helps us to cut through the babel of that fear so we can place our hope and our trust in who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for us, and how we have life in his name. And if we know that we have life in his name, then we have been liberated from that fear. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. You know, our church has deep roots here in the community, and we predate the founding of the United States itself. If you're looking for a church that is biblically faithful and traditionally grounded, come visit us. We may just be the church for you. You can find us online, zionsstoneucc.com. You can find us on Facebook as well, zionsstoneucc. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman. If you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at malandsman at gmail.com. Once again, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. May God bless you. Hope you had me visit us.
します。